You're listening to the Wine Cellar Podcast, where we simplify the world of wine. Each show, we discuss topics ranging from the grape to the glass. Here are your hosts, Brandon Bourgeois and Tyler Schwed. What's going on, everybody? Tyler here to bring to you another edition of the Wine Cellar Podcast. In today's episode, we have the pleasure of interviewing Aaron Henderson. Now, Aaron is a former reporter who worked for some of Canada's biggest news agencies, such as CTV, the Canadian Press, and 680 News. And recently, she decided to trade in her microphone for a corkscrew and join her sister in the wine world. Her and her sister own a very popular wine website called thewinesisters.com. And we had a great conversation with Erin about her business, her background in wine, her experience with teaching others about wine, and what she thinks are the most important issues in the world of wine. So without further ado, please enjoy our interview with Erin Henderson. Yeah, no, Erin, thanks a lot for coming on to our, our podcast. We um, certainly appreciate you taking some time on, uh, on the Sunday morning here to, to come and chat with Tyler and myself. So... I'm wondering if you might just uh, get into it and talk about uh, maybe your journey with wine and how you got involved in this whole this whole thing. Well, um, that's actually kind of a longer story. You could say it's a family business. So when we were little, and I'm talking about my sister and I, because obviously I run the company with my sister called the Wine Sisters, and she's a sommelier and so am I. But when we were really little, our dad worked in the wine business, and he traveled the world um, visiting his, his, the wineries that his, his company represented. So he'd come back with these crazy stories of the impossible slopes of Germany, um, or he'd, he'd say to a, you know, talk about having dinner with Bob Mondavi, obviously, of Robert, Robert Mondavi, the famous uh, California winery, or he'd let us know about the dusty caves in France with the old, old wine bottles and one day he came home and he said, did you know that they, they made wine in South Africa? And this is in the 80s. And we're like, oh, no, Dad. And, you know, we're something like four and six or whatever. And we're like, we don't even know what South Africa is. So he had all these stories. And wine was always part of our dinner. It was never taboo. It was never a, never a thing. And our famous story, which everyone thinks is a joke, but it's actually true, is all the other little girls were learning how to ride their bikes. And we were learning about fermentation. So wine was always part of our, our life. And um, I eventually grew up and went to school to become a journalist. And I was a journalist for about 10 years or so. And, uh, uh, but, but I always loved to cook and I always loved to entertain with wine. And then eventually when I got tired of, uh, you know, talking about crime and politics, which is basically the same thing, I decided to <laughs> leave journalism and uh, become a sommelier. My sister was already a sommelier. She was at the time working at the Fairmont Royal York Hotel in Toronto as, as the psalm there. Uh, I went to school. I worked really hard and uh, staged the entire time. Stage is just a fancier word for an apprentice. And uh, as soon as I left, I had a job at a private club in Toronto called the Badminton and Racket Club. And I was their sommelier and I ran their food and beverage division. And um, I moved on to a restaurant downtown Toronto called Canoe. And then I decided I was bored of working 80 hours a week for someone else. So I decided I'd work 120 for myself. Yeah. And uh, almost six years ago, the Wine Sisters opened. And it's been going really well. We're really excited because if there's anyone out there who is an entrepreneur or thinking about being an entrepreneur, it, it looks glamorous if you follow, you know, Inc. and Forbes. But, um, but it's, 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 a bit of a, it's a bit of a grind. So we're really excited that that we've made it to year six or almost made it to year six. And 
uh, starting next month, actually, we open up a second business called Drink Toronto, which focuses on city tours, uh, wine, beer, and cocktail tours, taking visitors and, and people who are just on a staycation to some of Toronto's coolest places and most interesting wine, beer, and cocktail lists. So that's, that's sort of me in a nutshell. Cool. Um, so what is it that you guys do exactly at the Wine Sisters? I'm not totally clear on what your business is. What? How can yeah. you not have heard of the Wine Sisters? I'm offended. <laughs> Where's the hang-up button on this? I'm, an, I'm an Ottawa boy, that's why. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So uh, the Wine Sisters is a company that we started about, like I said, almost six years ago. And what we do is it started because I was, again, working at a couple of restaurants, so was Courtney, and people kept coming up to us and saying, hey, you know, my wife's turning 50, will you come over and do a special wine tasting for us? Or you you have these great trips to wine country, how come we don't get the same experiences? Or my cellar's a mess, will you come over and help us arrange our cellar? And so we realized that there was a bit of a, a void in the market, and we wanted to fill that void and we thought there was a real need and, and luckily there was. So the Wine Sisters now has, uh, we specialize in wine education. We work mostly with corporate, but we do have some private, uh, probably about 20% of our business is private events, uh, where we take care of people either, you know, sort of in a structured classroom setting. And, and when I say structured, if you saw our website, we believe that people learn through having fun. We don't believe that people learn by being talked down to. So we take people on wine tastings, we throw wine parties, a lot of it's for client appreciation and, and uh, staff retreats, but we also do a lot of bridal showers and birthday parties, and anniversary parties, and um, we basically just customize whatever somebody wants. Oh, I want to learn more about Ontario wine, or I want to learn more about New Zealand wine, whatever the case might be. Uh, show me how to pair wine and cheese. That's a popular one. So we'll do customized wine events, wine tastings, whatever, for, for people. We also do uh, private bespoke wine tours to wine country. Um, we wrote a book. We were commissioned by a New York publisher to write an annual guide. So it's now in its second year. It's called Lake Ontario Uncorked. So we write uh, an annual guide to touring Prince Edward County and Niagara. And we're pretty excited about that. that so cool. so we're all wine all the time. Very cool. Very cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I wish we would have had uh, your uh, your book when we went to Prince Edward County last week because we were kind of we were kind of running around with our heads cut off a little bit. We weren't sure where to go and what to check out. I mean, besides our interviews, so that would have been pretty uh, pretty helpful, I think. <laughs> I think so too. There's still time to get it. It's available on Amazon. Head on over there. So was this a lot of stuff that you kind of grew up in? I mean, is this more a lot of the stuff that you've kind of learned over the years? Is was it a lot of it when you were growing up with kind of your dad, you know, helping you out, or was it? Is it a lot of it uh, more recent? No, no. Well, okay. So, so we were we were acclimatized to wine, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. um, from our dad, and so just being around and being a normal part of our life, and my dad having like wickedly cool stories of traveling, you know, the wine world, and um, that looked like fun. So it was always part of our our life. Um, then, it, you know, as I, as I grew up and I was in high school and university, I became a server. Uh, because that's where you make your better money. And so that's what I did for a long time. And then I went through school, obviously. But but then it just became that, that sort of interest just sort of grew. And, you know, you start reading all the magazines and reading all the books and looking at the beautiful cookbooks and seeing the beautiful pictures. And, and so that really sparked it. So then so then my formal education, I'm a, went, I went to the Canadian Association of Professional Sommeliers, which is CAPS. Uh, I think there's some in Ottawa. I think there's a there's an association or a chapter in Ottawa, but I did it in Toronto through George Brown. And, um, 
Yeah. And that's, that's sort of my formal education. And then, then I, since then have been, you know, traveling to various vineyards and various places, learning about wine continuously, well, how to make it, how to sell it, how to, you know, all the things that you would need to know to be part of the wine world. Yeah, okay. And like you, you mentioned, you came from kind of a journalism background, which is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, like you were saying, obviously it kind of, you know, you really were, it was, it felt like it was time for a switch for you. But I'm wondering if you were able to actually use some of those skills you learned in journalism and actually apply it to what you do now, or was it was it a totally different different world? No, I actually always say uh, you can take the girl out of journalism, but you can't take the journalism out of the girl. So obviously we wrote the book, like I just mentioned, but uh, we're actually uh, wine reviewers and wine writers for Vines Magazine, and Vines Magazine uh, is available across the country. Um, we also did a lot of writing, like to launch the business and to get that that sort of free PR, if you will. We wrote for the Huffington Post for probably about two years, like probably twice weekly. Uh, we wrote a, a, a monthly column for a monthly magazine in Toronto called Tonic. We wrote I, uh, for The Loop, which is a CTV-owned website, uh, writing their wine and, and entertaining column columns. Um, we wrote for a bunch of stuff and that was, that was a way we, what we were, what we were able to do is use my journalism and writing and, and broadcasting background, use that to really try and positively promote our company in a way that I guess would be more content marketing. If you're familiar with that term, which would be less buy my stuff, buy my stuff commercially, more just writing our reflections on wine and, and hopefully getting the word out about the wine sisters that way. I'm curious. How did, how did your, uh... I mean, I'm, I'm sure you probably went to a lot of your former colleagues and you were you were saying you wanted to switch to wine. How did they react to that? Well, um, people were kind of shocked about it. Um, now, uh, yeah, people, because keep in mind, I had to go back to school for a year. So I couldn't have, I already had a mortgage. I already had, I was, um, at the time when I left, I actually was a reporter on 680 News, uh, which is a big news station, news news station here in Toronto. And actually, I was fired from 680. So that's kind of my famous story. So I left. I was already thinking about leaving. And then they just sort of, that was sort of the guiding force where I was like, well, all right, I'm, I'm not really interested in doing this anymore. And now, now the door has been closed for me. So I'm going to try a different trajectory. I think where people felt a bit sorry for me is that I was once a lead reporter at places with like 680 News, CTV, um, you know, I wrote for the Canadian press for a while and did these big stories, these big headlining stories. And then when I went back to school, I had to go back to staging and essentially waitressing. And, and I think some people would have, were a little bit scared for me. Like what kind of midlife crisis are you having, even though it's not close to like maybe what kind of quarter life crisis are you having? Uh, so, so I don't think people were very excited to have that happen or to hear me say that that was the new trajectory. Some people, of course, were supportive, but I think many people were very nervous because it was a really uh, unusual and untraditional uh, route to take. Okay. Um, so I have a question for you about uh, the process of educating people about wine. Uh, what do you think the biggest hurdle is when you're trying to teach someone who's new about wine uh, and to really infuse some passion into them about the subject? Well, I think if they, by the time they're coming to me, they already have a strong interest, at least in drinking, if not in wine specifically, right? So Mm -hmm. uh, by the time they see us, so we teach at, like I said, I teach at George Brown College in their um, wine program. 
So by the time they come into my world, they're already having above average interest. So I don't know if you can force people to have passion in anything, whether that be wine or race car driving or, or building apps, right? Like you just, if you're, if your passion's not there, you're, no one's going to inspire you to, to get it there. So I think though, what happens is for us, at least in the earlier days, um, the important part is to make it inclusive and to make it fun. Otherwise, if you get too snotty about it and you were talking about your own generation, which I'm guessing is a millennial generation, um, you're, you know, if you make it too esoteric or too abstract, people are just going to be like, you know what, I'm going to go to the beer tent where everybody's having way more fun. Now, beer also is, of course, becoming a little bit, uh, you know, um, involved if you really want to go that far. But but I think the important part for me and the uh, attitude we take through the Wine Sisters, and I think most sommeliers are starting to go that direction as well, is to just just be cool about it and, and show people it is an awesome thing. And, you know, you go to Europe and young people are drinking wine and really enjoying wine. And, and it's not, it doesn't have to be a put on, you know, get dressed up and put on, you know, your best stuff and put on some fake airs or something. You're, it's just, it's just a really awesome part of enjoying life, you know, sitting down with your friends, throwing some cheese on a plate, opening up a bottle of wine. This is a nice thing, you know, young, old man, woman, you know, whatever, um, I think, I think that, that, that our biggest hurdle or our biggest thing, like I said, is to, is to make sure that people learn about it in a non-intimidating, easy approach. Um, you know, my old thing is I don't care what you're drinking as long as you're drinking. So, um, you know, I'm not going to scold you because you like one brand over another. I think that it's just really a great idea to, to start to see how wine can really be part of a fun, engaging, and, and yes, sophisticated lifestyle for sure, but it's a really civilized thing to do, so it's it's great. Okay, cool. And, you know, you're talking about making it fun, which I, I could definitely appreciate. I mean, this is something that I want to have fun with. I don't want it to be kind of like a snooty sort of thing. I mean, uh, you know, somebody like in our age bracket, which, you, which you're, you're right, where we are millennials, and mm-hmm. like, what, what kind of things do you say to, to make sure it stays fun for, for, for our generation? you just keep it very casual, or how do you approach that? Yeah, we do, and it's funny because I have a lot of – so the course that I'm teaching right now at George Brown, and I teach a, a bunch of different courses, but I teach a spirits course, and I teach you know more advanced wine courses, but the one of my most fun courses that I'm teaching – and my sister teaches at George Brown as well – uh, is wine for beginners. And so we might get people of all ages and, and there's a significant portion of people, let's say in their mid to late twenties that are showing up and they get so, and I think it's just human nature, right? If you can't pick out the cherry notes in your wine or you can't, you know, understand the difference between acid and tannins, it's a natural inclination for, for the people that I'm meeting to sort of berate themselves and be like, oh, I can't pick this out of the wine. I've been studying this for 10 years. Like, let's just, you know, we're not, we're not curing cancer here. We're having a drink. So let's just all calm down and relax and take it one step at a time. And depending on the level of your passion, maybe if you eventually want to go the route of sommelier, okay, so maybe you need to study a bit more and you need to read a bit more and you need to do, you know, all your sensory development exercises a bit more. But that's a very small portion of people who, who I see in a day. Most of the people are just there because they want to understand what they're going to have with their Tuesday night lasagna and their Friday night steak. They just want to be able to order wine off a, off a wine list in a restaurant with, you know, a certain amount of confidence and, and be able to taste it and understand a little bit about is this good or is this bad? At the same time, I'm like, is it good to you? If it's good to you, then it's a good wine. 
And, and I, yes, so let's keep it casual. Let's build one step at a time on, on the knowledge that you have. And, and, but let's not race from, you know, grade one to your PhD. Let's, let's, let's take things one thing at a time. And then yeah. that's, and that's how we try to keep it. Well, that's, that's a cool idea too. Cause I think a lot of the time people might be afraid to, you know, get something wrong. You know, there might be that idea. Yeah. Oh, I'm this, you know, it's, it's an exact science. I need to match this with this. If I don't do this, I'm, I'm not doing it right. You know? And I like that. I think that's pretty cool where you talk about, you know, just keeping it to them, you know, what do you like, what, you know, and, you know, really giving them a lot of leeway to figure it out themselves. I mean, well, that's, that's, you know, is that, is that, is that, a, is that a good, like, I think that's a great approach, but I mean, what's your take on that? Do a lot of people not see it that way? Yeah. And I think it's just human nature. So whether you're learning how to fix a car or learning how to iron a blouse or learning how, what wine goes with your Friday night steak, people want to be perfect right away, right? We live in a Twitter based society. If you can't have it, in 30 seconds, if you can't have it in 140 characters, then it gets frustrating and annoying. We want it yesterday. And that's just the nature of how our society lives. And the reality is, is that nothing is going to get, like you guys are in school, you've probably been in school for a couple of years, you probably have a couple more to go. You're not going, you're, it takes time for anything that's worth it. And similarly, a lot of the people that I meet, whether it be through teaching them as students or go, or helping them you know, through the wine sisters at their events, it's, it's about just relax. You know, some people will always say, you know, I, I always go to California because I know that it's going to be good and I know that it's going to be consistent. Great. So let's start there, stick with what you know. And, and, and that's fine because there is a certain amount. You're absolutely right. Where people are afraid to get it wrong, but you're not getting anything wrong. There's, there's 3000 or more grapes, uh, wine grapes in the world. And there's someone somewhere to drink each one of those. So, you know, whether you're drinking a Cabernet or whether you're drinking a Riesling, that doesn't mean you're wrong or right. It means that you're enjoying what you're enjoying. If you want to start to tiptoe out of what you, your, your usual go-to, well, then maybe instead of drinking a California Cabernet, maybe you pick up an Australian Shiraz. You know, maybe you check in with the person at the at the wine store that you're shopping at and they they help you stay within within a safe distance of what you're used to and help you to start to expand your horizons that way. But at the end of the day, there's no way that you're going to get it wrong because mm -hmm. the more I learn about wine, the more I realize I don't know anything, right? Like it's an ongoing and, and, I, and so I'm always wary of people, no matter the industry, when they come across as absolute experts because I think that that's a dangerous path to tread down. The more you get to know about something, the more you realize how much more there is to know. So just relax. Well, it's cool because we were talking with uh, a sommelier recently, and they were saying it's they can go anywhere in the world and, and ask any sommelier, and there'll be questions that they'll still get stumped on. You know, nobody, it's, it's like, you know, nobody can know everything, which I think is pretty cool. But <laughs> I wanted to come back to your, to your education, like, you know, you, you kind of have gone full circle in a way because, you know, you got into it, you know, you became fully educated and now you're teaching mm -hmm. you know, classes. I, I'm, I'm interested to learn, were there things that the way that you were taught maybe that you've tried to change a little bit or do you, have you taken a different approach at all with, with teaching students? Um, you know, I'm just curious to kind of understand how you, you go about teaching newcomers to wine or your students and what your kind of philosophy might be for, for that. Well, okay, I have a couple interesting questions because I've been, I've been thinking about it quite a bit. And I think what's really important, again, and I, I'm sort of repeating myself, is to take it one step at a time. And what I mean by that 
is I, so, so whether it be teaching through George Brown and the curriculum is obviously already laid out by the, by the college, right? I don't I have some poetic license to stick with my own style, but obviously, you know, I can't go, I can't be too much of a renegade because then, then your certification or whatever it is you're working towards is uh, a bit questionable. So, so there are some things that I have to adhere to because the college has laid out the curriculum. For my own um, courses, I uh, for my for the through the Wine Sisters though, and and similarly through the college, it's really important not to overload people, right? So whether it's a, a wine tasting at someone's office, or a class at the school, you know they're two hours, three hours long. You can't just you know put on turn on the fire hose and let it rip, right? Like it's that's unfair. Um, so it's like let's start right from the beginning. First of all, let's discuss how to taste. Right. Let's discuss, you know, how wine is made in the, the most basic of forms. And we don't need to start getting into pH levels and we don't need to do anything like that. At this stage, all we need to do is figure out that you pick the grapes, you crush the grapes, you put a little bit of yeast into the juice and that yeast is going to eat the sugar in the juice and turn it into alcohol. And then you're going to filter it out and then you're done. And most I said that to a couple wine making friends of mine and they're like, yeah, that's all there is to it. Absolutely. And of course, there's more to it, but for the rudimentary, for the basics, that's all you need to know. It's that it was once grape juice, yeast is what turns it into alcohol, the sugar into alcohol, and now that's how you get your wine. We don't need to go beyond that. You know, maybe maybe next week or next month or whatever, we're going to start getting a, doing a deeper dive, but we keep things one step at a time. If you, if you again, if you try to race from grade one to your PhD level, it's going to be overwhelming. You'll probably have a panic attack. You'll probably feel bad about yourself. And there's no there's no point in, in, in that no one wins in that situation. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that'd probably be it. Almost probably hurt uh, maybe if these people are coming in and they're pretty passionate about wine. If you overload them, it might kind of ruin their passion, and they might think, you know, what have I signed up for? What have I gotten myself into here? Is that is that part of it too? Hundred percent. And so what I see a lot, um, specifically through the through the college route, is some students might jump in. Because, you know, you're right. You know, you guys, I don't know how old you are. You know, you, let's say you're in your mid-20s. You've now been drinking for 10 years or something. You know, two-thirds two of that legally, one-third not, whatever. <laughs> um, so you've been, you've, been, you've been boozing for a while. You feel like you've got your finger on the pulse of what's happening. So you jump into a course that maybe is one or two levels beyond what you actually should be in. And I see it all the time where students have ended up dropping down because oh, I, I thought I knew everything about wine and now I don't and now I feel stupid so now I'm at wines for beginners because I started off you know at wines two or wines or whatever and um and I and I was really overwhelmed and and maybe that's a failing on the college's part I don't know but um I think that I, I think that yeah if, if you if you don't start at your at your at, at, at that starting line, then yeah, then you can feel bad about yourself and you can really, maybe you end up leaving the, maybe you leave your passion behind and you go again to the beer tent where people seem to be having more fun. <laughs> okay. And I want to jump into kind of what you're doing with the wine sisters and a little bit about that, but I had one last question for, you know, the teaching side of things for you at, at, at George Brown and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, uh, I guess, for for a lot of the students that you guys have coming in, what's what's their what's their range of interest? Do a lot of these people want just to have kind of this cool bag of tricks to have on the side, or they want to become professional sommeliers like yourself? I mean, what's kind of the the range of of, of interests that are coming into the program? Oh, I think I think there's all kinds of ranges, and yeah. So I've taught people who um, are really interested in maybe 
developing a career in wine somehow, maybe not as a sommelier, maybe as a wine agent, maybe, but they're at the beginning stages and they're just figuring out what side they like about wine and they're thinking about making it a career. And then on the other side, I have some people who, you know, they come in and they're taking a, a class on a Sunday or on a weekday, weekday night, but they're really an investment banker in their real life or, or, you know, an accountant or a doctor or whatever. And they just want to feel a little bit more comfortable ordering wine off the list and, and that's it. Or they want to be able to compete with their friends because they feel like their friends know more than they do and they're tired of being left behind, so to speak. So it's a complete range from people who, who want to just ha who want to, who want to beef up their hobby uh, to, to people who may, who are considering having a career in the wine industry somewhere. Okay. Good. So, uh, just one last question about the, uh, about how you educate people on wine. Um, is there a specific topic or a specific question that you get all the time that, that really f makes people feel like they're stumped and makes in kind of impedes their progress into learning more? Okay, so my number one question that I get all the time is, are you really from Somalia? And <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm not. So I'm a Somalia, which is different. And so that's the number one question. You're really from Somalia? No, I'm not. So, oh, so funny. yeah, um, I'm from Guelph, Ontario. Thank you very much. <laughs> now living in Toronto. But anyway, the, um, the next questions I get, usually center around in no particular order, but sort of the top five would be how long can I sell her this wine for? Mm -hmm. The next one would be what, what food goes with this wine or what, what wine will go with my very favorite, you know, turkey sandwich or whatever. Uh, the next question we will get will be what's our favorite wine Ergo, what sh which I think is a thinly veiled question to what should I be drinking? Mm. Um, and then the next question, which is sort of like a part B to that, would be, is this, you know, whatever they're drinking, you know, this ABC wine here, is this a good wine? So those are sort of the top questions. And I think what people really get freaked out about right now, especially because we've got so many things to help you, but at the same time, I think it makes people feel a little insecure or maybe even um, reduces their confidence. So if you think about, you know, the food networks and the food and drink magazines and the, like, well, there's a plethora, like all the blogs and all the websites and all the podcasts that are dedicated to this food and drink lifestyle. So while they're all there as really good tools to help you increase your knowledge, at the same time, I think sometimes people get a little freaked out because those tools actually in some ways can work against them because everyone will think, oh, well, everybody else knows what they're doing. How come I don't know what I'm doing? And and I think one of the frustrating answers for people, and I can't help but give it to them, is they're like, is this a good wine? Well, I don't know. I don't have your taste buds. Is it a good wine for you? But all they want is a solid answer. Yes, this is a good wine. No, this is not a good wine. That's why people, those shelf talkers, where it's, this gets five stars or this gets 95 points, if you go to your um, your LCBO or if you're somewhere other than Ontario, if you go to your local wine store, um, and you get those sort of marketing, and they're, they're not exclusively marketing, but people will post, you know, wine critics reviews. And that's what makes those wines sell because people just want to be assured that what they're drinking is, quote unquote, right or, quote unquote, good. And that might not even fit with your own palate. You never know. But that's what that's what happens. And if you think about it, nowhere like you don't get, oh, here's a steak, it's 95 points, or here's a corn on the cob, it's five stars. We really only do that with wine. And people really need that um, 
life vest, if you will, that, that safety valve to let them know that they're doing something that's cool, that that's, that's what, the, that's what the, the, the officials, that's what the experts have said is good, and therefore that's what they should be drinking. Um, I just have one more question. Uh, it kind of inspired me when you get the when you answered. Uh, um, so when you have uh, this is something that was asked by someone to you last night that I was hanging out with. Uh, when you have a bad wine or not a bad wine, more like a more like a like a, like a cheap kind of wine, I guess um, <laughs> you tend to get a like a really bad hangover. Like, why is that? Is that a thing or is that just a myth? No, it could be a thing. Um... And this is my best guess. So I'm not a doctor. I just play one in my special moments. So all I can tell you is um, probably, and it's it's not just with cheap wines. Sometimes wines that have higher sugar content can can be uh, can negatively affect you, right? It also mm-hmm. depends on so many things that your friend was doing. Like, are they really like are they just really letting it rip, or like are you eating? Are you having sub supplementing with water? All of that stuff. Like, what were you doing? But my, and again, this is not like an official medical thing. It's just probably if you're drinking a wine that's that's less expensive, there might be a higher sugar content in there. And so again, remember wine. You know, you 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 how you make wine is you take your sugar, you put your yeast in that. The, the yeast will eat the sugar and turn it into into alcohol. Sometimes what will happen to make it more palatable is either the yeast doesn't completely eat all the sugar, so there's leftover sugar or what we call residual sugar in your wine, or perhaps to make it a little bit more palatable, um, you know, some some wineries might add a bit more sugar to it towards the end. I don't I don't exactly know what they were drinking, and it doesn't matter. We don't need to discuss exactly what it was. But perhaps if there's a little bit more sweetness in your wine, um, that is what what can be more challenging in terms of the headaches and in terms of the hangovers because you've got so much more sweetness that you're drinking. It's not quite as balanced. All right. Okay. Yeah. Mystery solved. Well, yeah, that's interesting. No, yeah, I wanted to kind of shift over to the wine sisters and, and figure a little bit, you know, more about what you're doing on that side of things. And like you said, you kind of cater more to like a professional crowd, right? That'd be more of your. Yeah, it seems to be that way. It seems that over the, that's how it's adjusted. Now, again, probably 80% of our business, uh, it's people who, who entertain a lot. So typically financial law and insurance sectors, but could be anybody, obviously. Uh, but the businesses that seem to do a lot of entertaining for clients, seem to do a lot of staff retreats, seem to reward their, their teams a lot, do a lot of team building. So yes, we do a lot of different, either it's a customized wine tour showing people around Niagara or Prince of, like, uh, or, or we go in and we, you know, there's so many sales teams, for example, who take clients for dinner. They need to have a bit more confidence in ordering from the menu and doing the quote unquote right ritual of ordering the wine. So we go in there to, to help them um, expand their knowledge that way. But about 20%, especially during the summer, there's a lot of weddings, there's a lot of bridal showers, there's a lot of birthdays, there's a lot of anniversaries. So there's, there's quite a bit um, of the, the private sector where people will you know, hey, you know, my girlfriend's turning 25 or 30 or whatever your number is. We want to do something special. and Or, hey, these people have just announced their engagement. We'll do a wine tasting for them, that kind of stuff. So that's interesting. So you really wear a lot of hats in your in your, in your your role, huh? You're almost more than a sommelier, and you're kind of a business consultant, too, in, in terms of forging relationships or, or yeah. performing. You know, it's... That's that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's really fun, and if you, and especially for millennials, and and this is a totally different podcast. I don't want to get too too off topic with that because I know this is a wine centered podcast. But 
I think the way the world is going, and again, you know, look at my career. I was a journalist, then I became a sommelier working for someone else, then I became an entrepreneur. Now through being an entrepreneur, we, you know, we, we stick with the journalism through writing for a lot of people. Uh, so there's a revenue stream, but then we also have, you know, school, like teaching formally, formally in quotes. Uh, there's a stream, you know, then we have like the wine parties and the event planning. So where we bring in the caterers and the service. So there's, there's a lot of different streams and, and that's just a quick aside that I think that the way the world is going and I, I, you guys would know this better than, than I do, but I think you, you end up, uh, changing or adjusting or pivoting your career a little bit to, to, you know, to not be one thing anymore. Yeah, no, I think that's interesting. I mean, that's something we definitely see all of. I mean, I'm in a business program at school, so you know, you hear that all the time where the that, that nine to five job with the pension is kind of out the window, and yeah, it's it's as as redundant as it sounds. It's almost more 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 risk or uh, more risky to go that route than doing something yourself, which is kind of a almost like a paradox. But uh, no, I, I totally I totally agree with you. Yeah, I think so. I think that, uh, and again, this isn't this is a wine podcast, not a business podcast. But I love talking about business. Obviously, I've run one for six years, and before that, I was in management, and I just I, I'm fascinated in a. Di- and, you know, nobody has to be a one-trick pony. I mean, when you were talking to your other sommeliers or your other winemakers, uh, they probably had a diverse background as well. And if you're a sommelier who, let's say, opens up a wine bar, well, then you're no longer just a sommelier, unfortunately. You're no longer just getting to play with your shiny toys and pour people wine. Now you're, you know, doing the accounting and worrying about getting, you know, people in the door. So there's a bit of marketing that's coming in. Now you're you're worrying about, you know, how much are you paying for your cleaning crew? Or are you going to be the cleaning crew? Like, you you know, you now you've got to be a bit of human resources because you're going to have a staff with you. So, mm. yeah, like you want to be a sommelier that opens up a cool wine bar. 100% I'm on your side and I'll probably go there. Uh, and in fact, with Drink Toronto, the new business that we're opening in uh, two or three weeks now, um, you know, so that's that's cool. I love talking to people who are super immersed in their craft, whether that be wine, beer, spirits, whatever. Um, but yeah, if you wanna if you wanna get involved in this industry, and similarly, even if you don't wanna own your own wine bar, if you wanna become a sommelier but work for someone else, well, you're still gonna have to take on then some sort of managerial role. And it's no longer being a sommelier. Like the cool part is drinking the wine and talking to people about the wine. But you're gonna need to have some sort of uh, whether you learn it on the fly or go to school, you know, you know, some sort of PL sheet to be able to figure out what's coming in and what's going out or, you know, manage your seller somehow. So there's a lot more to it than just being a big wino, which is the, which can be a downside for people who just want to be a wino. Well, it's kind of like you, like anything, I guess you got to put in the work if you want to, you know, reap the rewards and, you know, and have the, have those enjoyable moments. And I think that uh, totally makes sense to me, well, yeah. um, you know, and uh, so, I, yeah, I want to get in a little bit, just kind of, uh, touch on your new venture here with with Drink Toronto. I really wanted to kind of understand what that like. I've never done a, a walking tour of a of a city, you know, doing that kind of thing. But well, come down what, and see us. Oh, I, I we will absolutely have to now. I guess. Okay, I'll but. tell you what. Well, uh, <laughs> when you're in a better like when you, I'll tell you what. We'll talk about maybe um, for some of your listeners. Once we're up and running, we'll see if we can get uh, a contest going. So anybody who's coming to visit Toronto, we'll give a we'll give away a couple of free tours. Well, that'd be amazing. Uh, yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know people would jump on that in a heartbeat. But I'm just curious, like what what would somebody you know expect when they're doing that? What what can they what can they anticipate with, with something like that? A really good time. Um, <laughs> so if you go uh, every our, our website at, at the time that we're speaking right now, it's uh, drinktoronto.ca. Uh, it's not complete, so you'll just see the the homepage that pops up that says, "Hey, we're coming soon." Uh, it should be up within the next few weeks. I hope so. 
And uh, we have, we're on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff that I think our, our handles are Drink Toronto Tours, Tours plural. So we're offering seasonal, and so, so they go all year round, uh, wine, beer, and cocktail tours. And uh, we're launching July 11th with, uh, we call it the West Side Wine Discovery, going to some really, really cool, uh, really, I don't want to go so far as to use the, the, the old uh, cliche hidden gems, but if you were to come to visit Toronto, or even if you live in Toronto, uh, you know, we have the big restaurants, which are amazing and very popular, but we're taking people off the beaten path to introducing them to really cool places that have highly cultivated and highly curated wine lists, whether that be, you know, tiptoeing down the natural wine route, whether that means wine cocktails, uh, whether that means a VQA Ontario focused wine list, whether that means really interesting stuff from from remote places of the world, whatever. So we have a wine walk, we have a beer discovery, we have uh, we, we have we have one cool tour. We're so excited! It's called the Mixer. So we're going. So it's not. Ex- so it's uh, walking from uh, Chinatown down through the entertainment district. Uh, you know, just really going through some great neighborhoods. But there's going to be a mixture of different wine, beer, cocktail samplings as you go along. They're three-hour walking tours. Uh, they're really only about three kilometers long because you're stopping at different stops along the way. There's about five or six stops per tour. Uh, $150 per stop, uh, per stop, $150 per tour. Uh, but that gets you, you know, a sampling of whatever drink and a sampling of food at, at each stop. And, um, in addition to that, our, we're calling them our hospitality partners. They will then offer you an incentive. So if you decide, you know, you're in Toronto for the weekend or whatever the case might be, um, you go back within, I guess, 30 days or so. Uh, show them the proof and we have little wristbands that you you were part of drink Toronto well then you get some sort of different incentive at each place so whether that means a free glass of sparkling wine 10% off your bill you know a free appetizer and a moose bouche whatever whatever their specific offering is there's an incentive for you to return uh, and that way everybody you get the most out of experiencing the coolest places in Toronto Uh, our hospitalities get to experience really people who are highly engaged in these in in wine and drink culture or, or drink and food culture and uh, it just works out really well for everybody yeah, that sounds like a, an amazing time that's that's it's really cool a great time it's a really good time yeah we're excited <laughs> and what's cool about it as well is what makes us a little bit different is that they change seasonally so unlike um you know if we do our mixer for example our mixer is done september 30th we start new tours october 1st they're all awesome but that just allows us to keep things very fresh for people. Um, it's been our experience, especially through the Wine Sisters, that people want to go more, like they want to do it, they have a good time once, they want to go back and do it again and again. Uh, but you don't, unlike a restaurant where you might return to your favorite restaurant every Friday night, you know, you want to have a, you might want to repeat the experience, and I certainly hope you would, because they're going to be bloody awesome. But, um, but ours are keeping it fresh. So, you know, obviously in the fall, you know, we, we would maybe we, when I have no idea, like maybe we'll work on, you know, an Oktoberfest uh, craft beer experience. You never know. Like, so that way it keeps things very fresh for people. Okay. Well, um, we're kind of wrapping up here, I guess. you got to go teach some students and uh, <laughs> about one at George Brown soon. But, uh, Aaron, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. I think that was a really, really informative talk. And I think uh, our listeners will have some really cool, uh, you know, stuff to learn about, and certainly, uh, if they want to to come check you guys out in Toronto, they certainly have a, a way to do that now as well, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, stay in touch. Keep up with us at uh, our the Wine Sisters is thewinesisters.com. 
Uh, Drink Toronto is drinktoronto.ca. Uh, and we have all the appropriate social media stuff that's happening there. Uh, unfortunately, the Wine Sisters with Instagram, you know, I asked my sister to do one thing, which was set up our Instagram <laughs> account. And we do have the Wine Sisters as one word on Instagram. But then she lost the password. I can't figure it out, right? Like, I don't know. Oh, no. So anyway, so now we're the Wine Sisters with underscores between the words because, you know, she had one job. And, uh, <laughs> and we totally lost it. But anyway, so yeah, check us out on uh, Drink T.O. Tours on Instagram, Facebook, and, uh, no, Facebook is Drink Toronto, too. Uh, but um, Drink drink T.O. Tours on Instagram and Twitter, uh, Drink Toronto on uh, Facebook, and then similarly, the Wine Sisters at on Twitter, Facebook, and, and Instagram. Perfect. We'll make sure we send it all those right, uh, those right uh, links on our website as well. I know. There's so, so many. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure we triple check with you to make sure we got the spelling and everything all right. So, no, thanks yeah. again, Aaron. I guess we'll... Uh, Keep our, our uh, viewers, uh, our listeners, uh, tuned, uh, staying tuned to the uh, potential giveaway of the uh, of the tour. 